Hello, everyone, and welcome to D3 Glory Days on the Shittiest Mag Podcast Network. I'm Noah Drotty, joined by Stu Neustadt. This is episode 74 of D3 Glory Days, episode 74. Thanks for tuning in. If you've stopped by before, you know what I'm about to do. I'm going to beg you to follow us on social media. I'm going to beg you to hit up the website and see all the great content we have there. If you are interested in more up-to-date Division Three coverage, we do a great job. Stu does a great job on our Twitter account. And there's plenty of cool information on our website, www.d3glorydays.com as well. We'll put links to all of that in the show notes. It'll be easy for you to find. If you'd like to make a financial contribution, there's links on the website to do that as well. That really helps us out, helps us spread Division Three content around the globe. A special shout out to Jack Bergeson and John Florsheim, who donated this week via Venmo. You can think of Venmo as our internet tip jar. Throw, throw a five in there, throw a one in there, tip your bartenders. Great conversation coming up for you today. Stu's going to jump in here in a second and give you information on our guest. Yeah, this was a cool conversation because not only was she a great Division Three athlete, but she is a future D3 Glory Days collaborator. And Stu will get into that a little bit as well. So Stu, who is coming on the podcast today? Yeah, we're really excited to welcome on not only to the podcast, but the D3 Glory Days writing staff. That's Lila Drafts Johnson. She graduated from Oberlin College, made her way to Amherst as an assistant coach. She actually did work for the MLB. We forgot to mention that in the episode, which is a cool little uh, fact about her. And now she's getting her PhD. She goes into what she's getting her PhD in later in the episode and what she'll be writing about. But a lot of what she'll be writing about is the cultural and the why behind D3. There can be some excellent pieces and we're super excited to share them with you. Lila's track and field career had an interesting start as she was primarily a two-miler in high school until her coach needed a 400-meter hurdler and a triple jumper. She said yes to her coach's requests and became a 400-meter hurdler, a triple jumper, and occasional two-miler. However, she shifted her focus to the 400-meter hurdles and triple jump in college. From there in college, she went on to focus more on the sprints and the hurdles. And a fun fact about Lila, she is a 400-meter national champion, but she never won the 400 meters at the conference level. She'll explain why that is and everything in the episode, but just a great story of progression and grit as she realized her potential early on in her college career and made the most of it. So we really hope you enjoy this one. Yeah, excited for everybody to meet Lila. It's a good episode coming up here. I will catch up with everybody on the flip side of this episode and reiterate everything I just said. So until then, here's to the glory days. All right, welcome back to D3 Glory Days. Today, we're moving down in distance and even into the field, getting our feet wet there outside of the distance realm. And to help us talk about sprints, jumps, and non-distance related D3 track and field, we have Lila Drass Johnson on the show today. Lila, welcome to D3 Glory Days. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, we are too. And it's, you know, a nice way to both introduce you to the D3 world in general, but also to our D3 Glory Days staff. You're going to be coming on to write a lot of pieces on why D3 and why D3 culture is so is so strong. So we're very excited to you know learn from you and then also have you on staff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I, I had a chance to say this to Stu before Noah, but I have been uh, admiring the project from afar. And so I'm just excited to be a part of it. Oh, thanks. It's always nice to know that someone is listening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we at least have one listener. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, as a admirer of the show, you kind of know how things work around here. We like to learn, you know, how for you, you know, you got to Oberlin College. So take us through your high school days. There seems to be many events that you were participating in, but then shifted gears in college. You know, take us through what who Lila was as a high schooler. Yeah. Um, I was uh, just a, a pretty, I had a pretty weird kind of start to my track and field journey, I think. Um, I've always loved running and kind of 
started it at a pretty early age. Um, my like elementary school gym coach was also the high school's track and field coach. So he kind of scouted out the people that enjoyed running and um, made sure to kind of funnel them in once they got to high school. So when I started running in high school, I was a, a pretty small, uh, just like a small girl. And so they kind of put me in the distance events and uh, that worked really well for like my first two years of high school. I didn't have a ton of training per se. Like I could, I can remember kind of the runs we did, but, um, but uh, you know, looking back now, I'm like, that did not constitute <laughs> a whole lot of training. And, um, but I, yeah, so I mostly ran the two mile and um, for a while, it really looked like that was going to be a pretty good thing for me. Um, and then like uh, a lot of young women, once I kind of hit puberty, my whole body changed and all of a sudden the uh, events that had been like pretty easy for me to run before, just, I just had a totally different physical experience while I was doing them. Um, and so that kind of started um, me just getting put into whatever we needed to score points in. So yeah, I, I referenced this a bit in um, a piece that I wrote for D3 Glory Days, but uh, there were sort of three events on my high school team that we did not really have a lot of depth in, and that was the two mile, the 400 hurdles, and the triple jump. And um, there was a track meet where the we didn't have anyone in the 400 hurdles. And so my coach kind of turned to me and was like, if you can run around the track eight times, you can do it once with 10 hurdles. And that is how I ran my first 400 hurdle race. <laughs> I kind of like love the logic of that, but I don't really believe it. Like, I don't believe that I could get my body around a track and over that number of hurdles one uh, time. Yeah, yeah. I, I can still remember the first hurdle I went over. I like ran up to it, stopped, and then stepped over it. And then I kept going. <laughs> to, so. this, to this day, in my 31 years on earth, I have not been brave enough to try to jump over a hurdle at, at any height. I have, I still haven't tried it. Interesting. Huh. Done it once in high school and the hurdle was the wrong way and I hit it and it didn't fall. So I had a really bad experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure the hurdle's in the right direction when you want to jump over them and now do it in swishy pants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we can take a deeper dive into Stu and I's personal trauma regarding hurdles <laughs> later in the episode. Um, I think we should also at some point do a series on gym teachers because I, I think we hear from a lot of guests that like the gym teachers steered them into a certain athletic path. That, mm -hmm. that could be a pretty cool series we do at some point. Yeah, you can't can't knock gym teachers in my book. I some of the some of my best teachers have been gym teachers. Yeah. What were some of you know you started in the distance distance events, you transitioned into more of a sprinting event. Um, obviously, very different from like a physical perspective, but like from your own mentality, did you approach those events kind of the same way? Did you find you know an equal level of enjoyment, kind of no matter what you were doing? Yeah, um, you know I. I really think that having that background of the two mile and I, I ran a little bit of cross country my last two years of high school. And I think having that kind of distance runner mentality really served me well as a middle distance runner because I, uh, yeah, I found that like, a, you know, it's, I think it's easier to go down a lot of the time than go up. And so, um, and for me, I've always, I always felt like distance running kind of like forced me to get into this mental state of being really aware of how much pain I was in, but not really identifying too much with it. And um, I think distance running kind of trains that really well. And it's a lot more intense when you're sprinting. Um, and so I think I just was able to adapt pretty well. So I think they're, they're very different, like mentality wise, but, um, but ultimately the distance background really helped me. Yeah this transition you took into hurdling, I feel like is maybe a, an interesting viewpoint in terms of the learning curve, because for a lot of distance runners, they might not be super athletic, super agile to get over those hurdles. You mentioned your first time going over, it wasn't super gracefully to stop. What was that learning curve like then to actually get proper hurdling form down? And I'm sure it maybe ventured into your college days. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have never been known for my grace, um, and that is true. And the way that I ran, 
I, I definitely, you know, could hurdle, um, but there, there was a, at some point they put me in a 60 meter hurdle race and quickly realized that my hurdling technique was just not good enough to do it. Um, but yeah, I would say um, I, I really struggle with like doing complicated movements slowly, but for, or like breaking, breaking down complicated movements, but the actual like going over a hurdle itself has always been like, I'm able to just kind of do in my body. Um, so it all kind of came together in a race, but um, anyone watching like me doing hurdle drills, it was like, even when I coached, I was always like, do as I say, not as I do. This is, this is not good. <laughs> So you kind of change events like in a pretty drastic way at the same time that, you know, people who are planning to do a sport in college are kind of starting to be recruited and specializing and like looking at different programs, you know, as, as college started to loom in the distance for you, were athletics part of that picture and, you know, how important was it to you to continue doing track and you know, along with that, maybe you can give us an idea of how successful you were in your like early days of hurdling. Yeah, for hurdling, um, my my PR was like just under 70 seconds, which um, for the, I, I ran in Massachusetts, Melrose, Mass, and I could like score at our conference meet, but I, I and I think I like qualified for states, but never had like any shot of um, going beyond that. Um, and, uh, and it was really the triple jump that, um, any college coaches were interested in. I, um, I think I made it to like New England's in triple jump. And, um, and so what kind of happened was I wasn't really thinking about sports in college. Um, I toured, I did kind of like a Midwest tour of schools, including Oberlin and, um, it was sort of after the fact, like after I'd done my visit, I, I thought, you know, it might help me to get in if I submit my track information. And so then I did. And um, the recruiting coach there at the time, John Hepp, reached out to me. And I, I just had no idea what I was getting into when I submitted. Like, I did not realize sort of like the industry of uh, collegiate athletics at that point. So um, I was like, why is this guy calling me? Like, once a week, this is, this is weird. And, um, and my family really did not know too much about like the recruiting process. Um, I don't really come from like a sports, sportsy family. And um, so uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was very much like learning on the go. And um, even when I was being recruited in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, I don't actually know if I'm gonna run in college. Um, I, I was actually like waitlisted at Oberlin and sort of with that sort of had this assumption that that would mean that school would be too hard for me to do something as intensive as college athletics. Uh, but I felt really guilty that I had like been talking to the coach for such a long time. And so um, I, I you know, went to the practices and ended up having a really good, really good vibe from the team and then continued, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it was a weird process because my, um, yeah, just because my, my track and field background in high school was like pretty good in the triple jump and then just didn't make any sense with any of the running events. Did you submit track uh, information anywhere else or was Oberlin the only coach calling you uh, during that process? Um, I also applied to Kenyon, but I don't think I, I don't think I let their track and field staff, no. I, I don't think I submitted times there. And then uh, Earlham College. And so I, I spoke with the coach at Earlham and Oberlin. Um, and Earlham was where I would have gone had I not gotten in at Oberlin. I'm sure they love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've like totally turned over coaching staffs now, but it's yeah. funny to think about, yeah. <laughs> Earlham was my number two choice as well. I spent like hours and hours on the phone with uh, Pat Thomas, the, yeah, yeah just, he, he called me like every night. <laughs> it was great. Um, Poor Pat listening to this is like, oh man, my team could have been so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great school. Was anyone trying to get you to run cross country, given that you had that kind of cross country background? Earlham was. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, 
I actually, after my freshman year of running at Oberlin, I actually did ask if I could join the cross country team. And um, the, uh, the distance and cross, cross country coach was like, absolutely not. <laughs> so. I mean, cause they, I mean, people know Oberlin has like a pretty historically great team. Um, what were you doing in the fall? Athletic, yeah. Athletically. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school or in college? College. Yeah, college. Um, I, we, we had like captain's practice. So um, pretty much like the, the way my training would go is like the month of June would be totally off. And then the summers were doing a lot of weightlifting and kind of like a lot of like fartleks and stuff like that to kind of build up um, some strength. And then the fall is, was really just about like starting to work on like speed work. And so, so we were pretty much practicing at about the same intensity that we do like all season, if, if not slightly more, because um, when you're not competing, you can like take advantage of the uh, getting to lift a little bit more and not be so worried about like the kind of like hamstring injuries and stuff like that. So you were intimidated by that academic commitment when you first got there, you know, was that borne out to you or were you able to balance athletics and academics, you know, fairly well from the beginning? Yeah, I pretty much as soon as I got on campus and kind of after the first couple of weeks, I think, I, I think like a lot of people, I really found that having the structure of practice time forced me to organize my life in a way that made school work a lot easier than I think it did for a lot of other people. And uh, pretty, pretty early on, I realized that like studying sports was something that I was interested in. And once that kind of happened, I was able to, I think just kind of nicely like synthesize the, the like experiential level. And then also what I was doing in the classroom. From a cross country perspective, the fall, you know, you're in season, you're with your teammates off the bat from a track and field perspective. I know a lot of universities have fall practices, but that's maybe a little bit later into the fall. What was that transition like for you personally as a student then to not really have a team set for you with practices right away? I'm sure there's captain practices and all that, but what did that look like for you? Yeah, but when I, so my freshman year, we just had this incredible class of seniors. Um, and so we, we had really strong leadership and I never really worked out by myself in the fall. Um, so pretty, pretty much from like day one of college, I was like running with the team and um, getting to enjoy that. Um, I, I don't think it's quite the same. Like I always kind of envied the cross country, uh, just the, the close knit feeling that I always kind of got from that team. I think from, from the like first couple of weeks of being on campus without anyone there. And so I don't think we quite hit like that level of, of gelling, but, um, but certainly felt, you know, like supported and, and able to get quality training time in. In those early days, what did you imagine success would look like? You know, what, what, what did you imagine achieving and being able to walk away being like, oh yeah, that was a fulfilling experience? Uh, my goal for like all of college when I first got there was to break 60 seconds in the 400 meter dash and to triple jump 36 feet, which I did not do, but. (laughs) We'll we'll forgive you for that one. Yeah. (laughs) From coaching in the NCAC, you know, we've had conversations with other coaches. It sounds like, and you can please correct me if I'm wrong. You were set to do triple jump, as you were mentioning throughout your college experience, but maybe an injury took you out of that. And that's when you started focusing more on the sprints. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. I, um, I had really bad shin splints my freshman year and the, uh, just like the kind of bounding and workouts that you have to do for the jumps was just kind of constantly inhibiting my ability to do running workouts. And I think once we were starting to kind of see what I could do as a runner, um, it was, I think, I think there's like a world where I could have continued to do triple jump, but it, it definitely saved my body a lot of strife to, to leave it behind. So let's take you back to, you know, when, it, when the track season is finally starting to kick off, the team is all 
together, you've endured the captain's practices and the off-season training and everything, and you you get the actual competitions. What what were some of your early like competitive experiences doing collegiate athletics for the first time? Yeah. Oh man. Um, I remember my first race at Kent State, which was exciting because it's like a D1 meet and a beautiful 300 meter track. Um, you can't say D1 on this podcast. We're going to have to edit, oh, we're have to edit that out. Yeah, that's, that, that's illegal. <laughs> An undisclosed location in Ohio. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, well, also, I think important to note is that I had never run an indoor 400 and I don't think I had ever competed in an open 400 meter um flat at any point until my until college so um so so I was used to like the 300 meter dash or the 600 or the two mile um for indoors so I just remember always kind of panicking about figuring out how to use blocks and like figuring out the cut in. Um, and yeah, and it was just, it was just weird because I suddenly I was specializing and like was in the relays all the time. Um, so I think, I think I just think of being like always anxious about missing, like missing the, the call or like just from managing, like going between triple jump and the 400 my freshman year. Um, yeah. Your freshman year, you look at your season progression, you mentioned coming out of high school, you were 70, around 70 seconds in that 400 meter hurdles, you dropped to a 67 looks like in your opening 400 meter hurdles and you slowly, but surely progressed down. I believe you end the year as a 62.82 400 meter hurdler. And you know, putting that in perspective of being a 72nd 400 meter hurdler to down to at 62, does that change then your like viewpoint of yourself and how you read yourself as a, as a hurdler and a runner? Yeah, it was, I, like my experience with running in college was really, uh, just really intense. Like I did not recognize sort of like a lot of myself, um, because I think, yeah, I just, I had no idea that I was capable of kind of running the times that I was. And every time I would PR, I was just like kind of in shock. Um, and so I remember running that first race and yeah, just being, just being really excited. And yeah, yeah, just, it just, I think that was something that really helped my development was that I was just so coming from not having like a ton of expectations or a ton of pressure, um, just getting that like little high from PRing so much in that first year, just did a lot of good for me kind of mentally and in my like understanding of myself. Yeah. As you kind of start to discover this, you know, identity of being a high level elite athlete, what, what kind of changes in your day-to-day life? did did you did everything just continue as normal you were just getting better or did the results kind of result in did the results result in and like any kind of increased internal pressure or lifestyle changes or anything like that you know it was, it was interesting I don't know if I'm going to answer your question in the same way that you posed it you so. can just make you can just make up okay. a question <laughs> you, you really can do whatever you want on this podcast <laughs> okay. I don't know yeah I think going um I did not realize like how much running would impact me and impact my college experience. And I went into college kind of expecting to do a lot more things with like music and kind of like the arts community. Um, And unfortunately I didn't really get to do that as much because I kind of got really uh, sucked into the athletic side of things. And there was certainly overlap, um, but I think, yeah, realizing that there was like a lot of potential for me in running made me kind of like change a lot of my goals um, for what I wanted my college experience to be. And then I guess to the point of like, how did it, I definitely started like taking a lot better care of my body um, because I was just putting it through so much more than I ever had before. Take us through kind of the training side of things from a hurdler and a sprinter perspective, you know, throughout your time on the distance side of things, you see 
you see people increase their mileage or handle, you know, faster intervals. I'm sure that's kind of similar in the sprinting world, but can you give us just, you know, what your train load looked like as a freshman versus a senior? Yeah. Um, I feel like it was like pretty similar, but, um, you know, the times, the times are different and things like that. Um, so I, I'll take you through like a week's worth of workouts because I guess that <laughs> seems like a good place to start. Like this is pretty interesting because I think this is a very like distance focused podcast just because of Stu and I are distance runners. And so, yeah, you have a, you have a great teaching opportunity here. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, bridging the like distance and sprinter divide right now. So <laughs> yeah. So like Mondays were always a speed day. So we'd usually do stuff under a uh, hundred meters and it would be like about a hundred percent intensity, um, with pretty substantial rest to make sure you're basically doing like an all out sprint each time. And then Tuesdays were typically the like hard workout day. So that would be more of like long sprint stuff and usually like a like broken ladder workout, like 400, 300, 200, 100 doing like the, my least favorite, like three sets of three, 300 meters, um, was like a particularly nasty one. Wednesday was usually like plyometrics and something more recovery based. Thursday was um, still like long sprint training, but slightly shorter than Tuesday. So kind of like 120 meters, 150 meters with pretty short recovery, but still pretty fast. And then depending on if we were competing or not, Friday was either a rest day or was kind of like blocks, technical, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then I guess for like hurdling, we typically did kind of starting in, um, towards the end of like the indoor season, we would start doing workouts with hurdles in them on Tuesdays. So I would have like a different workout than the 400 meter flat runners. And, uh, we, we usually had some like technical hurdle things where we weren't running over the hurdles, but just like doing steps over them and practicing like the approach and stuff like that. So you said you, when you got to college, the main goal was to break 60 in the 400. You do that by the conference meet, uh, your freshman year outdoors. So quickly you, you know, demolish your four year long goal. How did you, how were you able to like kind of cope with a, you know, a four year goal demolished in that first season of yours? And then how did you shift your goals moving forward? Yeah. I mean, the goal quickly changed from like breaking 60 in the 400 to, I want to win a national championship. (laughs) Um, So I think um, I I had a really wonderful freshman year coach, uh, Jason Hudson, and um, he kind of like all along was like, 60 is not a realistic goal for you for college, but um, did a good job of kind of meeting me where I was at and pushing me in the direction. Um, And so I think uh, toward, towards the end of my freshman outdoor season, um, I was really close to making it to nationals. And um, when I did eventually make it, uh, and I actually made it on a medical scratch. So I did not, I, I was, the, was the first person out and then got a call that uh, to come quick <laughs> because there was a spot for me. <laughs> and I had like a, uh, but, but after that first national meet, um, there's only two freshmen that had qualified for the 400 hurdles. And, um, and I thought to myself, you know, like if I could make it here my freshman year, I think I can win this thing by the time I'm a senior. And looking at what kind of times that would require me to run, I knew that, um, I knew that around 60 seconds or just under it was gonna have to be like the new goal. It sounds like you weren't necessarily intimidated by that first national meet experience, but it was more like you approached it with like, kind of a student's mentality of like, I'm going to get my feet wet here, but with a long range mentality, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I I can remember like driving to, from the hotel to that meet and being like, I hope this turtle top just like bursts into flames, like anything to keep me from having to run today. Because I was, uh, I just was so nervous to have like that first meet. Um, And then as soon as it was over, though, I think I was able to kind of just really appreciate that experience for, yeah, dipping my toes and knowing that I had three more years to get stuff done. 
not to turn this into like a psychology lesson on yourself, but it's interesting to hear how your recruiting process, you come from, you mentioned a non-sports background, wasn't really sure on doing collegiate sports and all that, didn't know the recruiting process to, you know, a few months later, really, you are thinking about winning the national title. So how to, like, what was your psychological shift then from like not really understanding collegiate sports to like, all right, I'm going to win a national title now. Like that seems to be like pretty opposite ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. I, I think that, um, my ignorance in a lot of ways has been like a huge gift because I often do not know how ridiculous some of my goals are. And yeah, so I I think that was sort of a lot of it was I did not realize at that moment how much work and, how many steps forward, step back, steps backward would really be required. I just knew to kind of orient myself in the direction of the goal. And um, yeah, like I, I think, you know, I was on the fence about college sports, but um, as a person, I'm pretty all or nothing. And so when I do something, I tend to do it pretty intensely. So um, I think it's, it's shocking in one way, but um, but it also kind of clicks with, with the general vibe. You mentioned your music ambitions kind of take a backseat in college as you focus on athletics. Were you getting involved in anything else on campus or were you pretty singularly focused? Yeah, um, I did kind of a, a bunch of different things. I, uh, so I was a Latin American studies major. And um, so I ended up like teaching Spanish in the elementary schools as like a volunteer. Um, and that was like a, a program that the college had with the, the local school system. And um, I also worked for the Title IX office doing sort of like sexual misconduct education with, um, with freshmen and athletic teams. Yeah, I, and, and then I just kind of held like a lot of random jobs, but it, it ended up being a pretty robust extracurricular life. Uh, just, just did not end up, Oberlin has a really intense music scene because there's conservatory there. And so I think that was also a big part of that was um, I was pretty intimidated by all the professional musicians. What is your background in music? Like what, what were you into? Yeah, um, I grew up playing piano and um, singing and doing songwriting. So yeah, that was, that was kind of it. Maybe you can write the new D3 Glory Days introduction, intro, oh, little man. jingle. <laughs> I keep telling Stu that I'm going to do it and I just keep it, not doing it. So I'm just going to outsource it now because I'm, <laughs> I keep getting disappointed. Right. No, you have a music background too, right? Um, not any like formal music background. Like I never went to school for it or anything, but um, I try to moonlight as a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I play the clarinet for anyone that was wondering and, and quit in sixth grade when our Halloween performance, all of us stopped midway through the song because we didn't know where we were. It's tough, Stu. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> you know, hearing everything you were involved with at Oberlin and while balancing, you know, at this point now, like a national caliber track career, how important was it for you to kind of have that balance, not just go all in on track and field? Yeah, it was, it was like always a struggle to find the balance. Um but I, you know, I like look back at college and I am kind of, I just don't know how I kind of did the productivity levels that I did. It definitely is not like what I do now. Um, I think just like truly like every hour of the day was scheduled. Like I would, yeah, I just was like a very, very organized person and kind of, kind of had to be just to like do all the things I wanted to do. And I think it was one of those things where once you kind of just get into a habit of figuring out your routine, you're able to just kind of like rock it out. And so I really clung to schedule and routine and. No, I think that's good. I think a lot of, you know, student athletes, you know, think about what they did in college and look back on it and be like, holy crap, how did you accomplish all of that? Uh, did you take any of that with you? I know we're kind of jumping ahead here, but on that subject, you know, you, you mentioned you got into coaching a little bit. You were at Amherst right before I got there. You know, did you take any of those lessons you learned from yourself into your coaching practice? Yeah. Um, and, the, and the one thing I will add to, to what I was just talking about is I, I do think I really learned how to kind of like advocate for myself in college because 
there were moments where I needed to like set aside time for schoolwork or um, mostly that and, and like learn to sort of like say that to the coaches and to whoever, you know, was sort of like asking for my time. But um, yeah, I think, I think it was like a really good fit for me to go to a school like Amherst that um, like, I, I would say like the typical Oberlin student is a lot, a lot more chill than, than I am. And, um, and I found like Amherst to be a pretty good fit because a lot of the students are, are really have these like pretty high goals in academics and in athletics and um, struggle to find that balance. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed getting to kind of like share my very recent college experience with that, with the students I worked with. And um, so, so much of like my main takeaway from college was just to like really enjoy the, the process of um, the whole thing as opposed to like worrying about specific races. So that was the thing I really tried to kind of like impress upon my students uh, when I worked with them at Amherst. I'm scrolling through your sophomore year results and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm no expert on interpreting these times, but it, it doesn't look like you made a big jump in the 400 hurdles until May of that year, um, which was like the week before nationals, you drop a 61 in the 400 hurdles. Um, prior to that, you were running pretty consistently what you'd run your freshman year. Is, is that a correct assessment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did yeah. you feel it before that race, before that 61, were you feeling at all like you were kind of plateaued? Yeah, I, um, I had like not, a, I, I wasn't super happy with like my sophomore year season, I remember, and um, really kind of like struggled to find my rhythm once we got to outdoors. Um, I switched coaches uh, between my freshman and sophomore year. Um, my coach like left and started doing something else with the college. So um, I was adjusting to like new training, I think was a lot of it. Um, but also I think significant was my, my first two years in the NCAC conference, the, um, the 400 hurdles were just like stacked. There was, uh, two women who were also all Americans in the 400 hurdles. And so to get all conference, you basically had to be an All-American. Um, and so I think I was still like really learning to trust myself and um, like just have the confidence to beat people that were older than me and had historically always beaten me. And um, that race where I dropped a 61 was like my last chance to qualify for nationals, I think. And also the only time I ever beat sort of my like rival in the conference who was like the the conference record holder from the College of Worcester, uh, who Hillary Cody, who uh, was was honestly a really great mentor for me. Um, so that was sort of like definitely a pivotal moment for me of being like, oh, I can beat one of my heroes, and um, I need to have more confidence. <laughs> yeah, up until that point, you know, you've been to one national championship outdoors for going forward to your junior year. You make it indoors, but you don't get out of the prelims. So at this point, you know, you've, you've had some crazy jumps in time. You're running the national meet, but you're not, you're not getting the all American accolades that kind of show for that hard work, even though you made it, you know, type of thing mm -hmm. from, from that perspective was getting to the national meet enough, or was that like all American status? Like what was keeping you fired up still? That's not a great way to word it. Like, do were you like, upset that you weren't being an all-american with even though you were making the national meet um in my sophomore year or junior year sorry we jumped ahead oh junior okay gotcha oh man yeah my indoor first time at nationals was uh really terrible and disappointing <laughs> um I because it had been a really exciting season um where that was sort of like when I made a lot of my first big time jumps in the 400 meter indoors. And I had like a lot of expectations for that first meet. And um, I just hadn't had a lot of chances to race people around my speed until nationals. And something with the indoor 400 is 
the cut in, if you are not first there, like you've lost the race. And um, so I just had no idea what to do when I was running with people that were basically exactly my speed. Um, so I remember like finishing that race. And even though I'd run a time that had been like unfathomable to me weeks prior, being really disappointed. Um, I did get to see my teammate win like the first national title in Oberlin College women's history uh, in the shot put. So that was the like silver lining to that meet for sure. But um, yeah, I think I, I left the indoor meet like very, very hungry uh, to, to go back and do better the next time. I think one thing that somebody would notice when they look through your results, it's like when you raise the bar, then that's kind of your new baseline. Like you, the season prior, prior you ran a 61 and then your junior year, you know, you, you drop a bunch of 61s, you know, but yeah, I mean, and then eventually you, you, you dip under that. So kind of what is that process of like, you know, making the bar, the new, the new base, if that makes sense. I, I think that that's like an interesting observation that I think speaks to the fact that I was running a lot of races. Um, you know, after my sophomore year, the, the two women that I usually raced in the foreigner hurdles graduated. And then there just wasn't a whole lot of depth in the, the schools where we were going. Um, so I just was kind of running by myself for a lot of those. And in, you know, similar to distance, but the sprints, it's really hard to PR when you're by yourself. So I think it kind of just became like 61 seconds. My junior year was just kind of the speed I would run when I was running alone. Um, and, and then I think it would, I would kind of know like, okay, when the conditions are right, you know, when it's warm, it's not windy and I've got competition, if I can run this, then I'll, I know I'll drop a big time. Your junior year outdoor conference meet, you look at it, you don't lose a single event. You're on two relays too. So you have to rely on at that point, I guess, six other teammates. But what is that feeling like to go to a meet, run six events and not lose a single prelim or final? Yeah. I think that was at DePauw. Um, ah. <laughs> you just come to our home track and just dominate everyone. <laughs> um, I, uh, I like always ran very scared. I, I think a lot of my improvement my junior year was, I was always just ridiculously nervous at conference, um, would get really sick after races, not so much from running, but from nerves. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if I can just sort of feel like I've got this in the bag before I get to the meet, maybe I won't be as nervous. And I think that really fueled me in practice. But it, the nerves never went away. And I think it just kind of got, got worse. Um, and so I, I remember that meet. Um, the relays were really exciting because I don't think we had really necessarily expected to win. Um, and so much of it was just like, that was our first outdoor conference title as a team. And so I think I wasn't too focused on as much like what I was doing as how the team was stacking up against everyone. And um, what was also weird is like, I, I never won a conference title in the 400 hurdles because I never ran it at a conference meet because the events were such that uh, they like wanted me to score more points by doing the four, two and the relays. Um, so it was also just kind of like, this is kind of like a, uh, a work day where I'm, I'm here to like be here with the team and support my teammates in my events. And, um, and yeah, it, it, I think because it, I never got to run kind of like my signature event, it always felt a little weird. Your junior year is also the first year that you're not just like squeaking into nationals. You don't have to wait for somebody to withdraw medically. You're not qualifying the week before. You head to the national meet with like full knowledge that you're going to be there and you're going to be a competitor. You make the final and you finish fourth, dipping under 61 for the first time. And you're also the youngest person. Um, or yeah, the, everybody ahead of you was a senior. Yeah. And so leaving the meet that day, 
I mean, are you like circling the day the next year knowing <laughs> that you'll be the the top returner? And it's also kind of cool that it was your goal to break 60 in just like the open four. And now you're knocking on the door of breaking 60 in the hurdles. And so, yeah, what is it like leaving the national meet your junior year and looking ahead? Yeah, um, that was a really fun meet. It was in Ohio. So a lot more people got to go spectate than I knew than usual. And um, I think that was sort of the most fun time I had at nationals because going into the meet, I knew that, yeah, like for once I was not uh, trying to qualify like the week before. And um, and I knew that, that I was like a contender for winning, but that there were definitely people that, um, that seemed like they, there was some like really serious competition for that top spot. So I think that took the pressure off. And um, like my, my freshman year at nationals, I was just nervous to do that prelims race. My sophomore year, I wasn't nervous for the prelims, but was nervous for the finals. And my junior year was the first time that I went into the finals of my race and felt really confident and knew just, this is just another race. Um, so I, yeah, I think leaving and, and seeing, you know, there's three seniors ahead of me on the totem pole. Um, I knew like, you know, anything's possible, but it was a, definitely a good progression for the, the ultimate goal. You know, as you come back as a senior, is the conversation with your coaches like, hey, what are we going to do for outdoor nationals, 400 meter hurdles? I need to come away a champion. Like, is that the main focus or are you trying to focus on that and, and just work on progressing each meet, you know, week after week? I don't think we really like openly discuss too much aside from like my freshman year, having a conversation with my coach where I said, you know, this is my goal. I think the coaching staff did a really good job of not kind of putting that pressure on me. I think it was certainly, I, I knew that they thought I could do it in a, we believe in you way, but it was never like a, they were careful not to want it more than I did. And I think that was really good. So, so we really did focus on um, just the, the day to day and uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm talking a lot about sort of like that as the goal, but, you know, for most of my college experience, you know, I had no idea how that final, you know, that final race would go for me. And so, uh, I really did try to approach every day, just sort of like, let's see what we can do. And, um, let's just try to be a little bit better than the day before. Moving forward, you get to the national meet, you come in probably thinking, you broken 60 before in that season prelims, you know, how much of an all out effort was it, or is it just mostly like to get through knowing what you had in the bank back in that spring season? One thing to mention is that I, I actually pulled my hamstring my senior year and, oh. um, in like my second meet of the indoor season. And so there was kind of this, this, three months chunk of time. Like I, I didn't really run too much that season indoors um, because we were just really nervous. I was going to pull it again. Um, and so I think by the time I got to that meet, I was just so grateful to have made it there in one piece. Um, the prelims, I was really nervous because I'd seen people before be the top seed and um, get out in the prelim. And I was just like, I really just don't want that to, <laughs> just don't want that to happen. The person I was most kind of like, I, I felt was my biggest competition actually hit a hurdle in the heat right before mine and did, and just, just was out of the race. Um, and so watching that happen, you know, like in an event where you do have obstacles in the way, you're, you're always like, this could be the day that I hit <laughs> the hurdle. Um, so that prelims race, I remember running really, really tight. And um, that was actually, I think the only, the only time someone in the division beat me that season in the 400 hurdles. Um, and that was uh, a woman from Williams College. Before we talk about the final, I wanna talk about the 800, which we've just totally skipped over here, but you, you ran a few like pretty respectable 800s and I think anytime like a distance runner sees someone excelling in the 400 and the 400 hurdles they're just like run the 800 let's see what they can do in the 800 um 
yeah, what was your relationship with the 800? You know, I, uh, the one that got away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the first time I got to run an 800 was because my sophomore year or maybe early junior year when I hadn't really kind of like put out fast 400 times, the coaching staff was like, maybe you could do well at the pentathlon. And then they like saw me high jump and do short hurdles. And <laughs> never like, mind, actually, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so, um, but I did get to run an 800 out of it and I really liked it. Um, it was, uh, I think it was just like really cool to have to extend that focus time. And when you're sprinting, like I always just kind of black out. But when you're running an 800, you do have to be like somewhat present for it. Um, so when I was like going back from injury, uh, I ran some 800s, I think, because that was just like a less, less risky event. And um, I really wanted to break my school record in the 800 and I never did. But that's why um, the week before nationals, I, I ran an 800 at a last chance meet trying to break the record. And I got really in my head about it and came nowhere close, but, um, what was the record? Uh, the record was 211. Oh, wow. So, and you, and you end up running 219. 211 is yeah. like a very legitimate time. You hadn't run anything close to that before. What, what kind of gave you the confidence to think that was possible? Yeah, we, we had done an 800 workout in practice and I had run about like 215, 216. Wow. And, um, and I was, I, I remember like the distance runners were doing their workout to the side and heard my coach like yelling the times and they were like, <laughs> what? Um, and so some nervous laughter amongst them broke out. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, yeah, I think, I think I, I don't think I had like an, as much respect for the race as I should have. Um, and that's why, you know, I ran a 219. But I, yeah, I, I think it would have been really fun to get to do some more of that while I, while I was like in shape. <laughs> well, let's, let's play the hypothetical game here. Let's say you enter college as an 800 specialist. You train for it every year. The 400 is just something you do to supplement that. What do you think uh, was possible for you in the eight? I, I think that I probably could have run. There's some calculation people do like based on your 400 hurdle time to get, I think it is like doubling is like hypothetically what your mm. um, 800 time would be. And I don't think that would have been what I could run in the 800. Cause that would be like two, two or two or something like that. Um, doubling your 400 hurdle time would have put you under two, right? Yeah. And that's like, not, that's definitely not uh, what would have happened. I think I could have run yeah. like a solid two, <laughs> 208. <laughs> um, but we'll never know. I think uh, Emily Richards would have uh, beaten me a lot. Well, there's still time. You can lace them up, start training again, and see what you can do. <laughs> yeah. At the uh, D3 Glory Days alumni meet, uh, you can train for the 800, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Any coach out there want to host this uh, event, please reach out to us. It's going to happen in the near future. <laughs> I'll race doing a steeplechase. I don't know if I can get over the barrier. We, over we're, not allowed, we're not allowed to practice for it. We just have to show up and whoever just gets over the barriers and crosses the line first wins. You can get over them however you want. You can touch them, right? Is that that's legal, right? Or no? Well, there will I, I think you can touch them. There'll be no in this in this race this you one. can. Yeah. Yeah. In this I'm race gonna have to. Yeah. I'm gonna do a handspring over all the water jumps. Back on track here to <laughs> The goal in college was break 60. You break 60. The goal was to win a national title. You end up doing that. You get through the prelims. Okay. You win the national title. Is there a way, do you have words yet? I'm sure you probably do of like seeing your growth as a runner and as a hurdler to go from hoping to break 60 to breaking 60 in that race and then winning a national title. Noah kind of mentioned how like my PRs would often become like my base level time for the next season. And, um, I remember I, I actually like when I, I think in like the 400, when I ran a 56 for the first time ever, I was like, I said to one of my coaches, um, 
man, like it, I thought if I ran 56, I would like be satisfied for the rest of my life <laughs> with myself. And now I'm just like, I think I can run faster. And, um, and he told me like, he still feels that way 20 years later, um, 20 years removed from his, his running career. And I think, I think um, that was like very much my feeling after so many of my races. And I remember like coming off of the last hurdle in that final race um, and they were like saying my name before I had even crossed the finish line. And I was like, don't say my name until I cross the finish line because it just was like so unbelievable to me. Um, and, uh, but what's, what I think is like pretty interesting and what I really take from the whole experience is that like that joy and excitement of winning the national title was like pretty, pretty short-lived. Um, it was like this incredible accomplishment that kind of like washed over me and I was, you know, incredibly excited, but, um, but then, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I think I could have gone faster. And that's probably, you know, like going back to the psychology of <laughs> this all, I think that like speaks a lot to just kind of like what's going on up here. But, um, I, I think that's something that I like really tried to talk about with the people I coached was just like, you know, those, that PR, that, that one meet, no matter like on what stage has really nothing on the, the whole experience of like what, what you're learning about yourself and like what, just like the people you're meeting and um, the feelings you're getting uh, from like learning about your body. Um, so I don't, I don't want to undersell like how incredible it was to like set this goal and, and make it. Um, I definitely would, would have been devastated to not win that. Um, but it gave me a lot of perspective uh, for sort of like goals I've set in my life since. Well, I think it's interesting that sometimes the, the reason an athlete is successful because they're always moving the goalposts is the same reason that they like can never really enjoy the success they achieve. Um, which is kind of a brutal circle. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, perhaps a brutal oval. <laughs> oval. Oh, uh-huh. oh wow. <laughs> That's yeah. in the podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> did, did that end up being the last 400 hurdle race you ever ran? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you can't go back and do it again. Cause like you ended on such a, I guess you, you just mentioned it, it was a high and then it washed over very quickly, but yeah, and as a champion, that's yeah. gonna feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know. I think it, it was pretty funny. Like, I yeah, I I was like a national champion for like two days of my college experience, and now it's very much the way that like hindsight looks back on it. I mean, you talked about those emotions of like finishing finishing the race, thinking you could go faster. That ends up being your last to date four hundred meter hurdle race. Was it difficult to like have to have that voice saying I can go faster, but also kind of the realization that there's not really the opportunity to go faster. Like that was the end. Was that difficult to come to terms with? Yeah. You know, I, I had talked a bit about continuing to run after college. Everything was so fixated in that, you know, that last meet that I, I couldn't really think beyond it. Um, and I think for me to have continued training, I would have really needed some structure. Um, and uh, I, I did what I normally did after, after nationals in the spring. I took the month of June off. And then um, in July, I was kind of like, I don't totally know what to do anymore. I guess I'll do a couple of workouts and stuff because that's what I'm used to doing. Um, but I think it is something that is really unfortunate for like sprinters and the field events is that there's not as many opportunities to compete after college. And um, there's certainly like, I know some people who have done it, but it's, it's tough to be sprinting around by yourself. We mentioned the top of the show that you're going to be coming on to write for D3 Glory Days. And it kind of ties into what you're getting your 
PhD and right now currently. Do you want to give some background on two things? One, you know, what you're getting your PhD in, and two, and some of the topics that you're going to write about for D3 Glory Days? I'm in a degree program for physical cultural studies at the University of Maryland. And uh, physical cultural studies is basically the study of active embodiment. Um, so that is things like sports, running, but it's also theater, dance, um, and then looking at sort of like the organizations that are like the league offices or the NCAA or even just the individual teams, um, like sort of analyzing those institutions and then also sort of the greater philosophies uh, of sport, sort of like the tendency to attribute like goodness or morality to, um, to athletics. So um, I think for me, um, running has just like always sort of had this like deeper significance than just a sport that I did. Um, it's very much the way that I kind of came to understand my body and um, just kind of like assert some autonomy over myself and, and just kind of like be my own person in the world. And I think, you know, as like a woman in sport, there's, it, it sport has always just been kind of like lived with um, just sort of the experience of, of being a woman. Um, and so I think I was really curious about just how much meaning my track and field career was having off of the track and, um, sort of like the discoveries that was helping me to realize about myself and about the ways that I interacted with other people. Um, and I, you know, I knew that if it was powerful for me, it was probably powerful for other people. Um, so uh, now I am kind of doing, I haven't totally figured out like my research or like what my areas of focus will be, but I'm, I'm really interested in looking at just sort of like impact of gender and other identities on the ways people can perform and just like kind of feel comfortable in their bodies. Um, and uh, generally just looking at how we treat sport in society. Um, so I, I think, one of the really great things about D3 Glory Days is that it is um, promoting Division Three athletics as like a, a viable thing for, for runners. And um, I write about this in the piece that um, that's coming out soon. But I, I really think that if I had, you know, either gone D1 by, by some chance miracle or just like shown up at a program that was a little bit um, just like, uh, had kind of like more strict rules or like a less um, personalized kind of coaching style. I really don't think I would have done well. Um, and I think it was sort of like that ability to uh, just like bring myself to my team and to the sport um, and focus. We've talked a lot about like winning a national championship on this. So it's not going to, it's not going to sound true to anyone, but um, to really focus a lot more on the process than sort of like, the, the winning factor. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing because I think sports is about more than winning. And uh, I think, you know, like creating spaces where people are able to test their limits and feel comfortable in their bodies and learn about other people um, is crucial. And I think D3 athletics is a, a really great testing ground for doing that, um, perhaps more so than some of the other divisions. So I just love that like this podcast and kind of like group organization, whatever you guys are calling it. Um, media conglomerate of D3 athletics. <laughs> yeah, worldwide, worldwide media conglomerate, I think is, is what we call it. Yeah. yeah. I just think there's a lot of like culture here and um, I think it's important to explore that and let people know like there, there, there could be something for you here. Um, so that's a very long ramble, but. Well, we're excited to bring kind of more of that uh, side of things to our written work and the website. So, you know, thank you for wanting to come on and, and, you know, expressing these ideas and promoting D3 along with us. For those listening, Lila's stuff will be, Lila's pieces will be on d3glorydays.com. So make sure you have that bookmarked. We'll release her first article here soon. Uh, so you'll be able to read that here as well. That's us saying thank you for coming on the podcast. We really <laughs> appreciate your time. <laughs> well, thank I, never, 
<laughs> I didn't put a bow on that really well. Let me put yeah, a bow we, on that. We never really signed off there, but that, that yeah. was this that was the official sign off of DK Floor Days. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'll I'll do a more formal one. Yeah. So, and, and on top of that, thank you, Lila, for your time today as well, you know, going through your career, I'm excited to explore the other side of the process and the why behind everything. I know we focused in on your, uh, day-to-day and winning mentality, but I'm, we're thrilled to have you on board for the other side as well. So thank you again. <laughs> thank you guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs>